It's not here, there, or anywhere else Lord, it's inside of me I thought you wanted hope Hey everybody out there I am currently sitting in my car um, You can hear the rain um, And it's the only place uh, right now in quarantine <laughs> That I can get away Um and I've just been reading and studying and um, I have a Secret Place Lifestyle e-course. This is not a plug for that, but this is um, going to help you understand kind of why I'm giving this um, encouragement to you guys today. Um, on the Secret Place uh, Lifestyle e-course, we have um, our, own, our own Facebook group and I just had asked the question how's everybody doing in quarantine and you know with their secret place with their intimacy because um it's been very different for me in this season um and I don't know that it's been forced uh, upon us um solely by the quarantine I think that we all go through different seasons I know I have in the last you know 13 14 years I've definitely gone through seasons where my intimacy with the Lord changed and looked different in different seasons. You know, there's always been the um, solid secret place um, time or the attempt of that. Um, but I just asked that question, how's everybody doing? And a lot of people, you know, had commented just very transparently, because if we're going to be transparent, especially for those of us who are in ministry, you know, or have a voice or feel a call to, to minister or, um, you know, preach the gospel, worship leaders, any form or function of ministry. In fact, you know, all of us, um, are entrusted with a ministry of some type or of some sort. And with that being said, you know, it's sometimes hard to be transparent and vulnerable about our intimacy with the Lord because intimacy looks different in every season. Um, I know that, you know, even in our um, relationships with our spouse, we find that, you know, it, there's an ebb and flow. There's a fluidity to our intimacy, if we're honest, if we're about real life. I'm not talking about, um, you know, monks who are going to spend three to four hours a day in prayer or, you know, even there are those people who... Um, have a grace, you know, to spend, I know people that do spend eight hours a day in, in prayer. There's a very, it's a very short list, but th there are people that do that. But I, I think that, you know, vocation aside, all of us go through seasons where our intimacy with the Lord changes, you know, um, even sometimes in our secret place, we we'll, we find ourselves searching for, um, a sense that we're doing the right thing, we're 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 touching the Lord's heart, or um, more often than not, we I believe we gauge if we're touching His heart by if our heart is touched. You know, we 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 have this idea that if we really touched God, um, it's gauged by if we were really touched, and that couldn't be further from the biblical truth of our relationship. Um, to the Lord with Yahweh, our, our relationship to him in our fellowship with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit, it can't be gauged by how we're feeling. And I know we've heard this and it's kind of a cliche thing to say, but we still believe it. You know, we still oftentimes believe in that form. And 
I want to talk today just briefly about, you know, not worshiping a form and even worshiping inadvertently a form um, of, of meeting with God that worked before but isn't currently working. It's as if we're not finding the Lord in the same way, in the same place. Um, and so I just want to just delve into that a little bit today. Um, because, you know, there is the place where we go into these deep seasons of intimacy with the Lord and, and our prayer lives and our devotional times are just rich and we're hearing from the Lord. Um, but, you know, for me in this season, personally, in the last few weeks, um, maybe months at this point, <laughs> my months and my weeks and days are just all jumbled together. Um, you know, I've been doing a lot of podcasts for others. Um, I've been doing a, a lot of church services online. Um, but you know, as far as our traveling itinerant ministry, everything is, is shut down and that's brought a, a great change to the pace and flow of our life. Um, I often, um, I think I found it easier to almost have a rhythm and a flow of intimacy with the Lord in a normal day-to-day life. And with this, it's thrown a lot of us off, not all of us, but a lot of us have been thrown off. Um, you know, and a lot of people are telling me like, I feel it's hard to, to get alone. It's hard to stay focused. It's hard to not be depressed. You know, some of us are fighting these, these feelings of heaviness and depression, even light as they may be heavy as they may be We're we're definitely kind of grappling with these things. And I, I think that we got to give ourselves grace and we need to understand that the Lord wants to find us and wants to be found in different ways. He wants to be found in different ways. And what I mean by that is um, the way you find the Lord in a certain season won't be necessarily the way you find him in the season after. And the Bible is full of this truth. And so we're just going to delve into that and and talk about that. Um, you know, the first thing I, I want to bring up is the power of our worship and our love and our intimacy for Him. Even so much, our words to Jesus, how they impact His heart. It, again, you know, if I go on a prayer time or I go to to be with the Lord, and I'm hearing from the Lord and, and things are great. And, uh, you know, I'm getting revelation from the Lord. All of these things, um, it's, it's powerful. If I'm weeping before the Lord and that happens, it does happen. It doesn't happen as much in some seasons as I wished it did. But when we get touched by the Lord in that way, I think it's easy for us to leave saying, man, we, we actually touched God. You know, we actually touched the Lord. We, 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 we had a connection because our heart was moved. And I think the shift of our paradigm in our devotional lifestyles and, and having intimacy with Jesus, we have to understand a few things. Number one, the things that move the Lord's heart don't always move our hearts. You know, um, and I liken it so much to the way we relate again to our spouses. You know, it's crazy to me how the things that move my wife's heart or her love languages are so opposite of mine. Um, and this is the idea of self-defining. We don't get to define, um, who someone is and then love them the way we think they ought to be loved. In fact, that is the opposite of love. 
love is to lay down your life for another. And so with that being said, you know, like my spouse, my wife gets to define what fills her up, the ways that she feels most loved. And it's, it's a, it's an ever present journey of realizing like, my wife is a, you know, one of her love languages is touch. So, you know, to, to be hugged and, and, and to have a hand laid on her back or, you know, all of those things that it, it means so much to her for me, couldn't be further from what I need or what I'd like to do. You know, it's just not my nature, but I find that it's an act of love and laid down love to, to be thinking of her in those ways and to reach out and do that to the best of my ability. And there's such a powerful scripture in uh, the Song of Solomon. You guys know, you know, uh, the Song of Solomon, I I cover this deeply in the uh, Secret Place Lifestyle e-course, but you know, the Song of Solomon is the journey. It is the literal song soundtrack journey of the maturation of the believer. It is the unchanging love of God for us. And and it is from chapter one to eight in the Song of Solomon. It's the greatest of all songs because it tells the journey of an immature believer into a mature believer. And it gives us insight into the heart of God. It gives us insight into the heart of God. And what that, you know, does for us is it helps us understand that in the beginning, uh, it, it shows our changing um, uh, heart towards the Lord, how we grow in intimacy. It's all about intimacy with the Lord. And what's interesting is the beginning of the Song of Solomon, the way the Lord speaks to the believer, the bride, that is us, the way he speaks to us never changes. His love and his his language of love for us doesn't change. It's just that our hearts are changed the more we receive and actually believe the love that he has for us. I, I love First John where he says, we have come to know and believe the love which God has for us. And that's a powerful statement because many people know God loves them as if it were this ambiguous fact, as if it were this... Uh, kind of nebulous idea like, yeah, God loves me. God loves me. God loves everybody. God has to, and I'm just a have to, but that's not the love of God. See, John said, we've come to not only know the love God has for us, but come to know and believe it. There's something that happens when we can read the song of Solomon, when all throughout it, he speaks to the bride. He says, you know, you're fair, Behold, you have dove's eyes. Your hair is like this. He's describing attributes of our faithfulness, of our of our obedience, um, of our even our our immature devotion. You know, at times, and what that means is a heart that wants to please God. That means it's we we have sincerity, but it's immature sincerity. We're trying. You know, many of us we we, we have to give ourselves grace and mercy because the Lord does. He delights to give mercy. He delights in showing mercy. He wants to give out grace. And so oftentimes in our failure of our secret place, it almost feels like we're the ones that beat ourselves up thinking that that's what God wants. When really God is saying, 
you're missing the whole point. You're just wasting time. Like I see your immature sincerity and I long to show you more mercy and more grace because this is who you really are. And so he's telling us who we are. But you know, when we read, you know, when he says your love is better than wine, you know, the Song of Solomon, Jesus is telling us the way you love me is intoxicating. That's hard to believe because sometimes I feel like my love for him is so frail. It's so wishy-washy. It's so, I'm trying, but if I'm honest, I feel oftentimes like religion has almost blinded me or almost, uh, you know, crippled me from even believing the words of Jesus. But what happens is the more we actually trust and believe him and what he says about us, that is when we begin to mature. And that's when we begin to, to walk that out, no matter our outward state. Because again, we are moving God's heart despite the fact whether we feel it or not. And I love that the Song of Solomon says this. And one of this core verses is Song of Solomon, chapter four, verse nine. Jesus says to us this, you have ravished my heart, my sister, my bride. You have ravished my heart with one look of your eyes, with one link of your necklace. And if um, you want to delve into this with me, ravished, this word, it's so powerful. It's funny because the word has a basic meaning is to steal away or to beat faster. Or he's literally saying, you make my heart beat faster. Essentially, you literally move my heart. You move my heart, the very heart of the creator God of all things, Yahweh, beginning and end. He says, I've become so vulnerable. I've made myself so open to you that with one look of your eyes, you have ruined me. You've stolen my heart. You have made my heart beat faster. One look and I start to get excited. I start to physically, my heart begins to move within my chest. And he says this, one look, that means one spiritual or or just the eyes of your of your mind, if you will, but that the spiritual eyes, the eyes of your heart, one gaze at Jesus just saying, Lord, I love you, moves his heart. And if we're going to live according to scripture and not according to our own ideas, we have to become biblically foundationally rooted in this truth that when I don't feel it, it doesn't mean Jesus doesn't feel it either. One look of my eyes. I mean, that's, that's crazy to think that we hold that power over, over his heart. And I mean, think about it. What is one look? What's one glance? One glance of our eyes makes his heart beat faster. What does that mean? It means that, you know, we don't have to spend hours with the Lord to move his heart, to prove our devotion. We're talking about stopping right now and just saying, Jesus, I love you. I love you. I, 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 my, my sincerity, uh, my motives, they may not be the most pure at any given time, but I'm telling you, I'm thankful. I love you. I worship you. That moves his heart. He says one link of your necklace, one link of your necklace, you know, the necklace in these times in, in, in the, the biblical, um, 
you know, origin of this word and the way it was used in this, this song, this great song of all songs, the necklace speaks of devotion because obviously the bride would wear the necklace with the signet ring or the signet mark of her husband. And it's kind of like, if you remember, I don't know how many people remember this, but you know, in high school, um, you would give your girlfriend your ring, you know, like, and sometimes she'd wear your ring around her necklace or, you know, she'd wear your ring or whatever. And you would give them your, your, your senior ring or your class ring. You know, think about the fact that when it talks about a necklace, it's just simply speaking about the fact that you are his. And one link of your necklace means the smallest act of your devotion to Jesus literally steals his heart. It ravishes his heart away. It 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 undoes him in a way that he can't control. I mean, it's as if the Lord is giving you access to move his heart because he's so into relationship. He's actually hidden the very fabric of your destiny inside of relationship with him. And he's not asking for great acts of devotion. I love that David discovered something about the Lord. He said, you're not looking for burnt offering or great sacrifice. You're looking for obedience. You're just looking for me to do what you've told me to do. And in this scripture, he's saying, you make my heart beat faster with one link of your necklace, one small, simple act of devotion. And my heart is moved. You didn't give me, um, you know, you know, all this time. I'm not impressed by your great offerings. I'm impressed by your consistent day to day, just simple acts of devotion. And we have to know that that moves the heart of God. What's incredible to note about this, that's not well known. You can look up the Greek word actually for, um, ravish in song of Solomon four, um, verse nine, and what you find is that the word ravish actually comes from the root word and is used this way in scripture. It means to bake fresh bread. There's a certain freshness that's denoted, that's, that's, that's being, you know, signified in this word. It means to literally bake fresh bread. It's a fresh thing. God is moved freshly every time you, you come to him with a simple look, with a simple act of love, of worship, one song, one reading of the scriptures and fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit. His heart is deeply moved and impacted from that. And this is the way he wants to be loved. You know, he wants, he's, he's told us, he's self-defined. This is the way he wants to be loved. He wants to be loved by, by, you know, he loves song. He loves being worshiped through song. And this is evident throughout all of scripture in his, you know, in the, in the, the throne room of heaven, there is nonstop worship through the form of music. There's prayer. These are the things that move his heart. And I want to say that about the ravished word, baking fresh bread, just think about this for a moment. What if God, when Jesus said, you know, pray for daily bread, the daily bread, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, bread uh, in the tabernacle was the bread of the presence, right? They got revelation, the bread of the presence. Um, think about this. In, the, in that idea, what if Jesus is giving you fresh revelatory daily bread from one simple act of worship? 
think of that. What if you can go to the buffet as many times as you want? I mean, Isaiah 50 is clear. Come to me, all you who thirst, all you who are hungry, and buy for me wine and milk and bread without cost. It, uh, it really, you can't come um, with thinking you can buy this on your own. If you try to buy it, it, he says, buy for me without cost in Isaiah. Why? Because he's saying, I have something to give you, to feed you with. To, to fulfill you, to satisfy you, to quench the thing you're looking for, but you can't afford it. And if you try to buy this with your devotional, religious asceticism, your your if you try to purchase this with your spiritual exploits, you can't afford it. The bread I have to give can't be bought with religious, spiritual exploits. It can only be purchased through surrender. Just simply believing that he wants to give it. And through the weakest, most frail act of devotion, he gives it freely and he gives as much as you want, as much as you need, more than enough. This is the heart of Jesus. But what I want to show you is this. Often through the Song of Solomon, I'm not going to focus anymore on, on any specific scriptures per se, but the broad strokes idea of the Song of Solomon showing forth that the the believer's journey to being mature rests not in the amount of ministry they do, but how much their ministry to the Lord is compared to the ministry to men. Remember, in the beginning, she says, my garden, my inner garden is a mess. My inner devotional life is a mess because I don't, I'm, she says, I take care of everybody else's garden, but my own is unkept. That's Song of Solomon 1 verse 6. The idea is that my relationship to God is lacking. My ministry to him is 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 weak in the sense that my energies are spent more doing ministry for other people than it is in ministering to the Lord himself. By the end of the Song of Solomon chapter 8, she says, my garden and the vineyard I have before me is a thousand. I have a thousandfold fruit for the Lord or for Solomon who represents the son of David, which he is the son of David. There's a lot of symbolism. Represents our devotion to Jesus. And she says, and those who tend its fruit, 200. So in other words, she's saying, my garden, my intimate life, my affections, my devotion is a thousandfold towards the Lord and 200 is given to others. That means they're getting the overflow of my, my ministry to the Lord. This is how it should be. This is the proper order. But one of the things that happens throughout the Song of Solomon that I want you to see is this, is that the, the believer in the bride is a few times, there's a few points throughout the, the book of the Song of Solomon or the song of the Song of Solomon, there's a few times where intimacy shifts. And in this season of quarantine, I, f I felt it, you know, and I felt the Lord's pleasure. And it's hard for me because oftentimes the things we found that worked to, to deliver us and give us and feed us and nurture us in the past when that form changes, we have such a hard time letting go. We're such 
naturally religious creatures. We find out what works and we go with that. But a creative God that has creative sons and daughters disallows us from sticking to a form. I mean, you understand the first and second commandments. Have no idols before me. Love the Lord your God. Have no idols before me. He says, don't make a form or an idol of anything in heaven or beneath and don't worship or serve it. This is an important thing. We have to understand the Lord is constantly luring us out into new places of intimacy and devotion that we haven't previously known. Let me give you a quick example before I talk about this Song of Solomon idea. In 2 Kings chapter 18, it talks about Hezekiah. And it says this about Hezekiah in verse 4. It says, He removed the high places and broke the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden image and broke in pieces, get this, broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called the bronze serpent Nehushtan. Now think about this. There's a story in in the book of Numbers where the children of Israel are in the wilderness and these snakes are going out and they're they're killing they're killing people they're biting people and they're dying and the lord tells moses i want you to take an image of that snake put it on a standard which is like a giant pole and i want you to it's a bronze snake and i want you to set it up in the midst of the camp and anyone who gets bitten when they look at that snake they're going to live it will heal them now think about how crazy this is that this thing that God used to be a form of deliverance and healing and salvation for the children of Israel in the past had this artifact had actually stayed around all the way into the time of Hezekiah when he was reigning in Judah. And this thing had been kept and literally the children of Israel burned incense to it. And I don't think that they worshiped it any more than you or I worship any other form of of something in the past that brought us deliverance, healing, you know, uh, um, joy, salvation, you name it, an encounter with the Lord. I mean, think about it. The people, the children of Israel, they knew the bronze serpent in the wilderness wasn't God. They knew God used that form or that thing to, in order to bring deliverance, healing, or an encounter with the Lord to save them from the snake bite. But that form had been kept. See, this is what is so powerful to me. Because a form that worked before had been kept for many generations, and because it had been proven to work before, it was looked at as as they they worship they begin to worship the form and they burned incense to it and i don't i don't i don't think when we read that i mean i i i know this is debatable but i don't think that the children of israel they knew to worship yahweh but i think what they were doing was they would have probably called it honor well we're burning incense to this bronze serpent because the truth is you know it was used in the past and this is just we're we're just honoring the lord but literally the bible says it pleased the lord that hezekiah smashed and broke in pieces that bronze serpent that moses had made think about this i wonder how many people were so offended at that 
Like, do you know how many people that bronze serpent healed? God used that. God used that. God, that was the word of the Lord to make that. That was, that was from Moses, one of the great men of God of history. And you just smashed it. Why? Because the Lord is not into form that no longer has power. And that is huge for us, especially in a worship movement. If I can just side trail this for a second in a worship movement where we worship form, we love form. This worked before this sound, this, this style, this has worked. This is what worked, you know, and and many people genuinely love form that had genuine power in the past, but they end up worshiping a form and forgetting the God behind the form is doing a whole new thing. God didn't need that bronze serpent to stay around. He didn't need that form to stay around for people to be healed or be touched. In fact, the thing that set them free before that became worshiped actually became an entrapment and a way of enslaving them to religion in which God was no longer a part of. And so I think in many ways, in obviously in the worship movement, we've done that. You know, we, we do that in all forms of life though. And when it comes to our secret place and our devotion with God, I feel like sometimes we end up worshiping forms that worked before, but are no longer, they no longer have power. They no longer have the, 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 it's not where Jesus is. Believe it or not, the thing that Jesus was in, he's no longer in anymore because he's not a God who simply stays in the same place. And I want to bring this back to Song of Solomon. Now think about this. In the Song of Solomon 1 and uh, chapter 1 and chapter 2, there's the description, and I'm making broad strokes here, but the description is that they're enjoying a level and a, and a realm of intimacy that the believer or the bride before had not known or experienced. They describe, um, they describe the, the place where they're at. You know, if you look at the end of uh, chapter one, it says our beams of our house, houses are cedar. Our bed is green. Our rafters of fur. They're talking about the it's basically also, side note, the same wood used in the ark, the same wood used in the holy of holy places, which you can find in 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 16. But they're literally describing the holy of holy places. So the bed, it's a resting place. Some call it the couch of the Lord, the sedan of the Lord. This, this place where you're sitting, you're laying, you're at rest with the king and you're, you're enjoying it. You're voice is sweet. You know, um, they're going through the, the, this whole new realm of intimacy and they're enjoying this place. But what happens is this is the Lord in chapter two beckons the believer to come out further. He says that the, the spring is here. Winter is over. Run with me. He says, come with me, come away. In verse 13, come away. But what happens is the believer says in verse 17 of chapter two, no. She basically says, no, no, it's written in poetic language, but she says, turn my beloved and you go, you be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of Bethere, which by the way, means Bethere means separation or it means holiness. You go run along in the mountain of separation of holiness. But Jesus was calling the believer into deeper holiness, deeper separation, but she couldn't in her paradigm 
come at that time. I love that the Bible doesn't present a picture of ceaseless glory to glory. We do go glory to glory, but there is a place in between glory. There's a place in between resurrection that's called death, separation, holiness. What the Lord is saying, separate yourself unto me in a new way that you've not known before. But oftentimes, again, I so love that the Bible in this song actually records and depicts the struggle. So many of us don't want to see that, but in our intimacy, there will be times of struggle where we say, no, I cannot go there now. I can't go there. There's something keeping me and I've got to die to something. Something's got to happen that takes me to this new place. Often God, I mean, they could have stayed in Song of Solomon chapter one and two intimacy. We think, and that would be great. We think that this is it. We found it. We found devotion. I wonder how many people, how many of us in our journeys are stuck in chapters and we somehow think that we're great, but God has run along to another place. Like a, like we, we've literally not gone to the next level of intimacy because of that. You know, we don't ever move necessarily graduate from a place. We build upon that experience. It's not that, um, you know, we find the Lord in our secret place, maybe uh, in a certain way, and then we leave that forever. No, we build upon that. I mean, think about this. There's been seasons in my life where the secret place for me was an easy, graceful, grace-filled and fueled two to three hours every morning at four in the morning. And I had no issue doing that. And there was grace on it. And I'm alone and it's quiet. But there have been seasons where I'm, I'm in a Song of Solomon chapter two moment transitioning into chapter three. And you can read right after she doesn't agree to run with Jesus in a new way of intimacy, which really what he was trying to do is this, and this is kind of the point, is Jesus was saying your intimacy in secret place doesn't stop with devotion time. It actually just begins there. And then we're able to run together. And this is what happens in chapter three in the very beginning. Um, the Shulamite, right, says this. The bride, the believer says this. By night on my bed, I sought the one I love. Why on the bed? Remember the beginning of chapter two, the end of chapter one. She says, our bed is green. It's fresh. We're in the house. We're on the couch. Things are going great. I've discovered a level of devotion that I, I, I've almost in a sense, I found so much joy in this form, but God calls her out of the form. He's saying, yes, you found me here, but I can't let you stay in this level of devotion and the way you've known it, the form you've known it. There's more to this thing. I'm not interested in and having, you know, just this level, I want to go to the next level. And that looks like finding me in a different place. She says, I sought him on my bed. I sought him, but I did not find him. We search in old places that have worked before, in forms that have worked before, and they don't work. Why? Have we found ourselves in this place? I know I have. I know that I've, I've found things have been so dry. And that doesn't mean we stop looking in those places only, but it means we have to be ready to pivot into this new thing. And oftentimes revival that God pours out personally and corporately 
demands that we pivot and get a new wine skin and have a, a paradigm to hold what he's currently doing. Because I know in my life, if I would stay in those places, I wouldn't discover the joy of the new place, the freedom of the new place he's trying to take me to. Even in terms of revival, how often do we miss out because we have saying, you know, we've said God moved this way before. I know how to do revival. I've done it my whole life or I know how to do it. I was in that move and that move and will be the first ones if we have that mentality to miss the new wine that he's pouring out because we didn't have the wineskin or the paradigm to hold the, the new fresh thing he's doing. More freedom, more glory, more you know territory, expanse of the kingdom uh, coming in our lives and into the earth. So she doesn't find him. If you've had trouble finding the Lord in this season, you felt apathetic, you've struggled with heaviness, maybe depression, you felt like you're falling behind, you're failing. I just want to encourage you that, listen, the Lord is with you in that. And and what if the things you're feeling are actually the Lord luring you out into a deeper place? We got to learn to embrace the seasons where we don't feel the Lord all the time. We have to embrace the seasons even where we don't have a desire to seek him. Now, it says, night by night on my bed, I sought the one I love. I love him, I'm seeking him, but I'm not finding him. And, and when you don't find for so long, something happens, you begin to get heart sick. You think, man, I, I, I feel, you know, I feel so apathetic. I feel like, what's the point? I don't have the energy to maybe go after this thing, but God's just looking for your small step, one link of your necklace, one glance of your eyes, right? And this is what happens in verse two of chapter three. This is the transition. I will rise now, I said, and go about the city, in the streets and in the public squares. I will seek the one I love. I sought him, but I did not find him. Once again, we go searching for the Lord. He's not in the in this in this you know bed secret place type idea of song two. But now he she goes seeking in the streets, and this is what happens. She actually does find him in the streets because she she says uh, the watchmen who go about the city found me. I said, "Have you seen the one I love?" Scarcely had I passed them by when I found him, the one I love, and I held him and would not let him go. Here's the the, the whole idea I want to get across. Right at the last minute when you feel like you've gone everywhere, you've asked, you've sought help, you don't know what to do, you're, you're just looking, you're not finding him, boom, he comes at the last minute. And if anyone reads this and has walked with the Lord for any amount of time, you know he loves showing up right when everything looks like nothing's going to happen. You know, if you really know the Lord, you know he shows up at the last minute, it seems. He shows up in overtime sometimes, it seems like. And he shows, and when she finds him, she said, I won't let you go. But where did she find him? She actually found him in the streets, in the squares, and in this place that was foreign to her from before. And we have to understand, and this happens through all the, the Song of Solomon. It happens through the entire book, right when she thinks she's getting to the place, and then they go through another season of growing after the season of pruning through chapter three, chapter four, and then boom, chapter five comes and the whole thing happens again. It happens again. And then finally again, verse, you know, chapter six and seven and eight, um, they move on into, into this deep level of maturity. I often ask the Lord personally, I say, Lord, where am I at? Where am I at in, in the song? 
And the Song of Solomon, I'll say, God, I want you to tell me where I'm currently at. And that doesn't mean the Lord, the Lord has sometimes told me you're in song one. And that doesn't mean I'm going back. It means I'm almost rediscovering something from the past. I mean, if I love that the Song of Songs is called the Song of Songs because the Lord of Lords, King of Kings, And this is the song of songs. Look at it in that perspective. This is the soundtrack of the gospel. It's the soundtrack of the gospel. And we all know songs, music, art, oftentimes speaks so much louder than commentary alone. And it's the depth of it is so rich. It's so concentrated. It's so concentrated, this book. So just dive into that. Ask the Lord, where am I at in the song? Where am I at? Your your beloved, where am I at, Lord, in the song? And let the Lord speak to you. I find the hardest, hardest things for me to do is to read the words of Jesus, the bridegroom in the song, towards me and actually believe it. When I start believing who he says I am in that way, it changes my, my devotional outlook and it makes intimacy so much easier. I have found in this season that for me, my intimacy has looked different. It hasn't just looked like alone time, but it's looked like throughout the day, touching, having brushes and moments of of romance, if you will. You know, just I love you throughout the day, hearing from him, pondering things with him, inviting the Holy Spirit's friendship into normal parts of my day and just just beginning to, to, to involve him in every part because the truth is everything happening in Song of Solomon 3 is all about intimacy that travels. Where there was the couch in the house that they, they sat upon together, the seat in the house becomes the traveling chair of Solomon. It is the traveling intimacy. It means we can have intimacy wherever we go in any time there is an impenetrable fortress on the inside of us, a garden on the inside, an inward garden, according to Song of Solomon chapter four, there's an inward garden that we actually can abide in as we go about our life. And that is how we make our lives a living sacrifice. I mean, that's how we live this thing out in a, and we abide in the Lord. That's how we bear fruit. We abide. We invite him into the mundane. We invite the Lord and we acknowledge his presence and his closeness and nearness. And we acknowledge his voice in the mundane parts of our, our days. And in those moments, I have to grow in the knowledge of, of, of this fact, this truth, this absolute truth of scripture that it might not be moving my heart, but it's touching his. And that does something to me. That does something to me. And then it reciprocates and opens me up in ways I I wasn't open to before. So with that being said, I'm going to let you guys go. I want to pray for you. Lord, would you just help us? Show us great mercy. Deliver us from the form. And if we have to break in pieces the form that worked before, then so be it. Let it be broken. For many of us, this quarantine is a purposeful smashing of forms that we had in our lives that worked before but don't work anymore. And now the Lord is saying, smash it down and begin a fresh place of worship to me, a fresh place of life to me, and and begin to trust 
that even though it doesn't move your heart, it's moving mine. God, give us that revelation. Give us fresh bread from the ravishing of your heart. Fresh revelation from the ravishing of your heart. And I pray blessing, peace. Uh, I pray praise for in the place of heaviness, beauty in the place of ashes, and joy in the place of mourning over you now in Jesus' name. Amen. It's not here, there, or anywhere else, Lord, it's inside of me. I thought you wanted whole cities.